0: If you're working through this book that we're using this month, like I am, Marianne Williamson's Gift of Change, I'm about, uh, well, this is actually my second reading, but as you can imagine, I'm paying more attention to it this time. (laughs) So I'm about three quarters of the way through, and i got to tell you, it's about time for a healing wind. This is the week where she basically says everything on the outside of us is just imaginary, Now, I know this. I am a good metaphysician. I am a good religious scientist. I do know that really everything in our world is indeed a projection of our thoughts, you know, whether it be good, whether it be bad, whether it be indifferent, it started in here and worked its way out there. But the cavalier way that she just talked about it as though, you know, it's no big thing. It's just like a movie going on. You know, center yourself. The truth of you is within. There was a little part of me that went, hmm... Maybe your reality is a little different than mine, because I don't so easily dismiss some of the trouble that's going on in my life. I don't so easily just like, you know, it's like, oh, it's no big deal. It's not a tragedy. It's just some thoughts, and they'll be different tomorrow. And I got to tell you, it created this little bit of inner tension in me, and it reminded me of something kind of interesting. And so I thought this week we would take a little mental health break. Okay. And, and we're going to get to that in a minute, but what would it be like to take a real mental health break? And so here's my kind of lame excuse for a joke this week. All right. Hello, and welcome to the mental health hotline. If you have obsessive compulsive order, press 1 repeatedly. If you're, if you're codependent, please ask someone to press number 2 for you. If you have multiple personality syndrome, please press three, four, five, and 6. If you suffer from paranoid schizophrenia, we know who you are and what you want. (laughs) Just stay on the line and we'll trace the call. (laughs) If you're delusional, press 7 and your call will be transferred to the mothership. (laughs) If you're hearing voices, listen carefully and a still small voice will tell you which number to press. If you're severely depressed, depressed, it doesn't matter which button you press, no one's going to (laughs) answer. If you have a nervous disorder, please fidget with the pound button until a representative comes on the line. If you have amnesia, press 8 and state your name, address, phone number, date of birth, social security number, your mother's and grandmother's maiden names. And finally, if you have low self-esteem, just hang up. All our representatives are busy anyway. (laughs) But seriously, what reminded me, well, of that terrible joke, and indeed of the fact that we need a mental health break, is this idea... And I would put it kind of a tension, if you will, that in religious science in particular, on the one hand, we're, we're told, be good stewards of what's going on outside of us. We created it, have ownership of it. If, you know, we're getting the red notices in the mail that bills need to be paid right away, obviously we pay them, right? And on the same hand, if you will, there's this little bit of tension of saying, no, you should step out of that. And, and, and I'd sort of think of myself some days is living in two worlds that almost can be at conflict with one another you know one of them is the spiritual side of me if you will where i know truth and harmony i knew joy i'm grounded in that sense of oneness with god and i know and i do know absolutely that the more i can stay in this part of my life the more the outside world start does does looking better does look more harmonious but then Then there's the other part of me that gets the the crazy mailings, that gets the mental health health line, that makes me absolutely crazy when I think that don't look divine at all going on on the outside of the world. And so there's this little bit of tension, I think, going on for us uh, in this particular faith. And it reminded me of something from my college days when I was taking some psychology classes. And and I looked it up, and believe it or not, Erickson's age stages of psychosocial development is still being taught. And I thought, wow, maybe there's some truth in it And I actually see a couple of heads nodding So some of you in the, in the helping professions have probably heard about this before And what I think is telling about this Is that it portrays everything from birth to death In kind of eight phases And it talks about every single one of these phases Being intention So let me work through this quickly But I think it's interesting because I think it portrays a lot of what we're feeling along the way in our life. So first of all, uh, from birth to 18 months, we have a basic conflict conflict or or tension around trust versus mistrust. And this is where infants, of course, you know, when you're an infant, everything needs to be supplied to you, right? And so we build this incredible trust. Really, it's an extension of the mom or the dad, the the primary caregiver, whoever that might be. And the trust trust is well it's life itself an infant can't go unattended and if they do go unattended if they you know if they're left to cry now in the in the quote olden days it was like oh no let them cry they'll get over it and what that was teaching them was that the world can't be trusted. And so there's that little dichotomy. And even in the best of families, I mean, every time an infant has a need, you can't meet it. And so there is this little tension going on of trust versus mistrust and having your needs met. The second one, 18 months to three years, is about autonomy versus shame or doubt. And this is, you know, the terrible uh, sort of toilet training time. And, and and it's when both you and the people that you love are expecting you to be able able to start doing things yourself. And the trouble with that is sometimes it works and sometimes we have accidents. And the trouble then with that is oftentimes without our parents saying a word, we get this feeling of shame. I was supposed to know how to do it. I was supposed to know how to tie my shoes. I was supposed to, you know, know enough ahead of time so that I could go to the bathroom, whatever. Okay, then we go from three years to six months, and this is where we're really fine tuning our uh, our motor skills, and the child continues to be more assertive and to take more initiative. And this is the phase that the tension here is initiation versus guilt, because so often the kid will actually be too exuberant. This is the when the kids get a little bit wild, and the parent reins them in, and that reining them in, the other side of that is a little guilty. Well, I probably. I shouldn't have been that crazy on the play yard today. You know, probably the rough housing did go too far, and that can bring about guilt of hurting someone or or, um, not living up to our parents' standards. Okay, then we get into um, 6 to 12 years old, and here it's industry versus inferiority, and this is the school years. This is where suddenly we discover everyone on the planet is measuring how well we do. And sometimes we meet those standards and sometimes we don't. So it's industry, you know, really learning how to read really well, learning how to do math really well, and that little reminder that but you're not as good as so-and-so or not living up to it. Then we have uh, true adolescence, 12 to 18. The teenager must achieve a sense of identity in occupation, sex roles, politics, and religion, and so on. And here it's, Identification, you know, the ability to really stand on your own two feet, to be um, self actualized versus role confusion. You know, how can I be different and the same? And have you noticed with teenagers, this is really common. It's like, I so want to be different and I want to be exactly like all of my friends at the same time. (laughs) It's really hard. Okay, next is young adulthood, and this is intimacy versus isolation. That idea of, well, you know, so I'm I'm 25, why aren't I in a long-term relationship, Or, right? It's like, is there something deficit in me? Um, middle adulthood is about generativity versus stagnation, you know? It's like I'm being productive in my... This is where midlife crises come in, because it's like I'm being very productive in my job, I'm making great strides... Why do I feel bored? Why do I feel stagnant? What's going on for me? And then finally, 65 uh, to the end of your life is is a reflective stage. But here it's ego integ- integrity versus despair. Have I really made my mark on the world? Have I done a really good job of a stewardship of my family, of the planet, of my spiritual life? Or... D- despair, you know, what if I haven't done a good job? You know, we can't go back and relive in the past. So what is striking to me about this, uh, two things. One is that idea of this sort of dynamic tension everywhere along our life's path is presented in terms of kind of dichotomies. It's it's like, I want to do this, but when I do this, this is apt to happen, or the opposite is presented to me. The other thing that I think is so telling is that we start in unity, right? We start with that idea of, well, literally being inside our moms, of course, but that idea of 100% um, 100 substance from our source. Now, at that time, it's our physical source of our primary caregiver. And then where do we end up again? It's reflection on an acceptance of one's life and unity. Now, in religious science, we often say, I've heard heard this phrase different ways, that what we're here for, what we're doing here, is that we're a spiritual being having a physical life, having an experience of the world, a spiritual being having an experience of the world. And I think, I think, and this is what leads me into our mental health day, deviating a little bit from Marianne Williamson, I think that for a lot of us, being in the science of mind, is that same kind of uh, of yes and no thing going on? That pull between the divine and the human. That that um, if you will, um, you know, why is my life such a mess? When it you know, at least on Sunday and several days of the weekend between, I'm having thoughts of unity and joy and peace. It's this tension. And what I want to do today, my goal. In fact, this would be my goal. Um, more than just today and that would be to settle this idea of being in tension that somehow being in the world and being spiritual at the same time are on different spectrums somehow that they're they're fighting each other or that you need to give up one in order to be the other i don't think that that needs to be the case I do think that sometimes it feels that way. And and if I have been one of those folks here on Sunday that have led you down that path of thinking you're not good enough because your life isn't out picturing like what we teach on Sunday, right? We teach a lot of unity, a lot of love, a lot of perfection, a lot of wholeness, uh, right? That's what we do here on Sunday. And it could be that you're thinking then, well, I'm just not good enough to pull this off that my thoughts are actually working against what it is I want to see. Well, today I would like to kind of uh, take a good look at that because I don't think it needs to be true. I think that um, this psycho um, psychosocial development <laughs> development scale, is really great at describing the humanness of us and how we interact with people. And because other people are involved, other social situations, I think that there may indeed be tension in the world. But I think this is only good at describing the physical nature of us. I do not think that when we reach our teenage years and the child becomes assertive and, um, and must develop its own sense of separate identity. I don't think that needs to be true on the spiritual side. And I would like to illustrate, just with the simple use of my own hand, if you would picture my hand as being representative of God, as the unity of all things, as you will, and and me just being one of the fingers on my hand. Now, um, if I'm, for instance, the thumb, well, I am unique, right? I'm good for hitchhiking, I'm shaped a little different. Right. There are all kinds of we press a lot of buttons and elevators with thumbs. There are things that are very unique about thumbs. There are things very unique about our index finger, you know, it's the it's the great pointer, (laughs) the great indicator, (laughs) the vanna whiter. (laughs) It's a very useful thing, right? It is different. And yet wouldn't it be crazy if our fingers literally decided, okay, you know, we really need to stand on our own. Right? What if our fingers just decided? You know, I really need to be self-actualized and self-identified. You know, I think I'm just going to go off and be a thumb, and the re- and the rest of you, good luck. And yet, and yet, I think in, in probably in in our a little bit before our teenage years, in this uh, this period of going off to school, which leads up into our teenage years. I think, and maybe it's because of the metaphors that so often about God as being the Father in the sky or the Mother Earth. I think that because there's a need in us to individualize ourselves away from our parents to stand on our own two feet, that we do the same thing with God. I think that in that same period that we're standing on our own, wanting to be a little bit different, Wanting to not be connected to everything that mom and dad were or or the family that we were raised in. Wanting to be self-sufficient and have a job and have our own car and all that kind of stuff. I think we get confused because of that age-old idea of God being the guy in the sky, the father figure, or, or perhaps if you were you know, raised Wiccan or in, in some other tradition, it might have been a mother figure. But either way, that idea of us differentiating ourselves and becoming separate from our parents, I think we foolishly extend that into our prayer life, into our spiritual life, into our connection with something greater than ourselves. And so today, what I'm calling for us is to be together again. What I'm calling for us um, to, to really take a look at today is not how we separate from God, not how we can stand on our own two feet. In, in fact, uh, I've heard people say, you know, well, I do go to church uh, when things are not going well because I need kind of a, a shot in the arm right the idea of you know i'll go to church when when things are a little rough because i know that the message will be uplifting i know that the the music will be soothing and and what i'm here to tell you is you know this is us when we're separate this is us acting as separate because when i'm doing good i don't need god right It's that idea of, I can do it all myself. It's that rugged individualism. It's that idea that nothing outside of myself is necessary. And when we do that... Our life can be truly a mess. That's when the changes are done to us. That's when it's so easy to go from the hero to the victim with one step, right? One letter, one phone call, one bad exchange at work, whatever it is. We can go instantly from that hero. Because if there's nothing backing us up but us, if there's nothing really to rely on but our own selves, right? Then when there's any kind of a failure... We're devastated. We go immediately from being the hero, the self-sufficient one, to the victim. This I like to think of as either-or thinking. Either I can be self-sufficient or I can be spiritual and rely on God. Either I can be a good father and, and be good in the you know the physical world, I can be a good provider. Or I can devote my studies to the inward world, to church, to meditation, and things like that. So today is about integration. Today what I'd like to do is to have us consider the end position. That not only are we spirits here in physical form, but that this doesn't actually represent any kind of tension. That we can choose to have these facets of ourselves in complete harmony, that we can choose to be living our lives fully centered in spirit even as the world around us occasionally goes crazy, goes whirling, right? And we know what that looks like, you know, that's when the relationship maybe goes wonky for a while, that's when we start getting the red notices in the mail that say things are going to (laughs) be shut off if we don't do something about it, that's when the phone calls uh, come that are unwanted in the middle of the night and people are in crisis. And what I'm telling you, what I believe for my own self, is that we can experience ourselves in unity with God from that place of true solidity, and then the world can do what it will, and we certainly have to interact with it, but it will not have that devastating effect on us. We will not go from being the hero to being the victim suddenly overnight because we're not doing it alone. Because there is something stronger than just our own will that's at work. So Marianne Williams, here is what she has to say about this progression. And, I, and this was the, actually the part in the book that reminded me of Erickson's age stages of, of development. Because Marianne Williams says this, she says, All of us were born with a completely open heart, making no distinction between who deserves our love or not. Yet, at, as the experience of a fearful world in which it is sad but necessary to teach our children that there are dangers of which they must be aware, it has trained us to shut down the emotional valve from which otherwise pours pours forth universal compassion. Love, which is our very nature, begins to feel over time unnatural and fear begins to feel natural. And once we have lived long enough and experienced enough, a closed heart rather than an open heart may become our instinctive response to life. And this is that idea of really being trained to live purely in the physical. This is back again to that either or. I'm giving up the spiritual because I'm learning out here that the world, I have to deal with it, and sometimes it can be painful. So I'm giving up the spiritual, and I'm live fully in the material. But what I'm suggesting is... That that may be how our social skills develop. It does not have to be how our spirit develops. Our spirit can be just as connected to God the day we were born, the day we move on to whatever comes next, and every single day in between. And, in fact, the changes that we're we're talking about orchestrating through the use of this book that idea of us as being the agents of change by changing our own mind by changing our interior world so that the outside world is more to our liking, that absolutely fits into this idea because when we are centered, when we have that knowledge that we are love that we are joy, that that true spiritual nature of ourselves is grounded in perfection, in wholeness, in abundance, when our thoughts indeed are backing up these essential spiritual truths about ourselves, then the changes that happen are an outgrowth of those thoughts. When we are grounded in love, anything unlike love, just flees from us. It's like like one of those repulsion magnets things where you try to put them together and they just won't go. Anything unlike love, when you are feeling and being and sensing true love in your life, anything unlike it just flees. When you're really embodying that spiritual nature of abundance or joy or whatever it is, the opposite cannot contain itself in your sphere of influence. And so when we base ourselves on spiritual truth, when we base ourselves on that spiritual side of things, the world literally can take care of itself. Last week we talked a little about living in past, present, and future, and Ernest Holmes said, you know, if you live in the present moment and do it with love, the future takes care of itself. Well, that is true in this area too. When we remain centered, when we remain truthful, in understanding our own being as love, as peace, as joy, then the outside world will indeed begin taking care of itself. It has to. It is an outgrowth of our own thoughts, our own patterns, our own ideas, our own choices, and our own actions. So as we begin aligning those things with spiritual truth, the outside world has to go along with it. Here's how Ernest Holmes talks about this commitment to the spiritual side. This is from his book, um, Spiritual Awareness, published in 1972. He says, Our divine nature never deserts us. Like the prodigal son, we may wander into far countries of despair, but the divinity within us ever gently urges us back to the center of our true nature. It ever reminds us of its presence, and if we permit it, This spiritual self will direct our every decision with intelligence and make perfect our way before us. So, how do we bring it together? I'm gonna suggest a little homework now and I know a lot of you are kinda like going oh great another homework and I have to say this one is a little bit offbeat. so follow with me for this for just a minute but it kinda has two parts the first part I want you to just select some area of your life that you want to put a little attention on might be a relationship it might be um, things going on at work it might be family members in trouble might be, um, I don't know, abundance. Maybe you're having money problems right now. And it could be even something that's going well. Just pick an area in your life that you want to put a focus on. And then I want you, and, and here's the part that is, we're not used to thinking this way, but think of what quality of God or spiritual principle would tend, from a spiritual standpoint, to be most active in that situation. Now, if it's Regarding people, I got to tell you, almost always it'll either be love or harmony, right? Or maybe peace. So think about the situation. Uh, Let's say maybe it's a relationship where you're a mom or a dad, and the place where you want to focus is on is your interaction with children. So 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 again, maybe what's coming up for you is love or harmony. It might be peace, whatever that is. Think about that spiritual quality that could be that center of this whatever's going on. At work, it might be something like uh, the spiritual quality might be order. Uh, it might be um, it also might be harmony sometimes working work environments are a little crazy, so maybe it 's harmony at work as well. maybe it 's about abundance, maybe you're feeling underappreciated. So pick that spiritual quality of uh, of God that fits whatever situation you 've chosen to work on okay that 's the first part and then what i 'd like to do like you to do this week is when you 're in that situation. As often as you can, think about yourself and ask the question, what would I do as whatever that word was? So if you're at work and your word is harmony, ask yourself when you're at work, what would I do as harmony? What does this situation call for if I was representative of harmony? If that very center of me, the bedrock of me, the spiritual part of me, is working in this situation as harmony, what would I do? What would it look like? How would I be feeling about myself and this situation? This, I believe, can begin to integrate this tension that we feel. Uh, you know, this pers- kind of perceived tension that we have of how do I both be spiritual and live in the world, I think can be justified, if, or resolved, I guess is a better word, if we can begin focusing our attention on the spiritual nature of that outward experience, right? So if we're at work and it has a set of issues and problems, when you begin focusing on the spiritual nature of it, Rather than just thinking yourself as a a cog, a bit of machinery caught up in some larger machine that's work, or that is relationship, or or that um, you know is some other circumstance in your life, when you recognize it has a spiritual basis, a spiritual heart to it, that you can stand firm in, then the changes are no longer done to you then you are experiencing a greater unity with that environment, and the changes are taking place as you are interacting. It's actually your full participation in those changes because they're coming from a place of heart-centeredness. So that's my homework. Just one more example. So let's say um, the area that you want to focus on is maybe your job. What about work right now would be the spiritual truth about it? Is it abundance? Is it about um, harmony? You'd like to have more work harmony? Just choose one of those words. Choose one of those spiritual natures of God. And then as you go about that particular day, for this whole week, begin putting it in perspective of what the true spiritual nature of what you're about is. What I know is everything that happens on the outside has a spiritual truth on the inside. Everything does, and even when things go rotten on the outside, there's a spiritual truth behind that that we're just not. We're like seeing the opposite of. Do you know what I mean? So, so we're seeing a, a spiritual falsehood, maybe a fear or anger or something like that, and that's what's out picturing. So we're just going to turn that on its ear. We're going to up front, go to work, go into a relationship, you know, do whatever it is we're going to do in our area of focus. We're simply going to go into that with the specific idea of I'm a spiritual being. And I know that this is going to be an outgrowth. Whatever's going to happen next is going to be an outgrowth of that spiritual foundation that I'm setting. So I'd like to close um, this afternoon with one more quote from Marianne Williamson. And here is kind of her promise. If we are able to live this life of unity, if we are able to sense ourselves in everything, not as separate, just as just as united as the fingers on this hand, right? Each unique, each wonderful and different in its diversity, and yet here solidly together, here's what Marianne Williams says will happen. When we realize that we are not just like each other, but we actually are each other, then we will begin to find life outside the realm of love, the the life outside the realm of love, no longer acceptable. And in time, it will become literally unthinkable. And when anything becomes unthinkable... It simply ceases to exist. So let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one one immense force of love in this universe. You can call it love, you can call it life, you can call it joy or peace, you can call it abundance or harmony. All of these we use to describe that wonderment that is God And as God is everywhere present, as God is in our work life, in our social life, in our social um, enterprises, as, as God is present right here in this room and with family members, I know that we simply are enmeshed in this immensity that is unity. And as this is true in general, I know it means me. I know that my life is completely unified with the one power and the one presence, I know that my world outside of me is simply an extension of myself, and I accept this. I'm fine with it. I'm in love with it. This is the truth of my very being. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room, that each person here creates their own life, co-creates with God, allowing the insides to outpicture on the outside. And so for this week and the week hereafter, I know that each person here is a little more willing and a little more able to understand the spiritual nature of their own lives, their spiritual nature and higher truth at work, their spiritual nature and higher truth of being in relationship, their spiritual truth and high, high calling around finances, that each person here becomes centered first in the spiritual truth of what's going on and then simply rests in the goodness of knowing that grace unfolds. That the outside world will fall into line, that the changes are suddenly to our liking or or maybe not suddenly, maybe just graciously to our liking. That the changes that we witness on the outside are simply that graceful embodiment of the love, of the life, of the harmony, of the peace, of the joy on the inside. And I'm simply grateful for this, simply grateful to be a witness to all the love opening up in this room, simply grateful to know that each person here represents love in action. And I let this be, grateful knowing that the law itself outpictures 100% of the time. I let it be, and together we say, And so so it is." is. Thank you very much. Thank you.